Hey, thanks for joining us at Two Age Sojourner. And uh, we have another week of thinking about what it means to be a Christian in light of the overlap of the ages. Stay with us. Andre, my, my old friend. <laughs> my old friend? I mean, it's, oh, been, it's been a I've, while. I've been relegated, relegated. <laughs> dude. Yeah, I mean, like, dude, I mean, yeah. I, th- I, th- I was getting used to this whole, why don't you just take it on your own vibe? You just just, <laughs> just head out there and do your own thing. Why, why are you oh, even so talking stressful. anyway? So stressful. So now you do it. The monologuing, bro. It's not fun. Uh, it feels like it feels so weird. Just monologue? like, well, I remember, yeah, because I have to do it every now and again. Like, if they miss the recording of a sermon at church, and then I have to like do a little monologue of the sermon, and that's weird. Where you're like preaching the sermon, but it's just you in the office. Oh wow, that is super weird. <laughs> it's creepy. Yeah. yeah anyway, I, I mean, I'm not trying to preach it. I'm just trying to read it out. But you know, anyway, it's weird, bro. It's weird. So I, mu- I much prefer it when we do it together. Yeah, totally. I um, what, the backlash on being able to monologue easily enough is that you do it all the time, even when with people. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, you don't. I just like, really. Hey, I mean, you I mind don't sitting there need, while I talk. Yeah, exactly. I don't. I don't need anyone else to be in the room for me to have a great time. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a total extra right there. So oh, man. yeah, I, I just I remember. Oh, man. Like, I remember thinking to myself a while back, um, it's like I, I preach probably about like, I don't know, maybe like 20 sermons in a week, actually, you know, most oh, of yeah, them are just, just monologue ad hoc. And I, I'm just thinking if, only I've had, if I had my recorder on me, I mean, it's, it's trauma for the person that's with me at the time, you know, <laughs> but once I've got that thought, I'm running with it, man, and I am not letting you interrupt me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if I'm going it's somewhere like, and I've got a plan, you, yeah. you have to get in line. You have to stay with me now. It's like, no, no, you need to listen. Don't interrupt me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this like, is genius. What, what kind You're, of sermon I'm, is this anyway? <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Yeah, good. Well, um, one thing I've been doing is uh, reading through Aquinas. So <clears throat> I think I mentioned um, on the show, the, no, I don't know if I did mention this, but I started reading. I'm, I'm going to try and get through the whole Summa, right? Just follow. Why are you doing this? Why are you reading? Why <clears throat> well, Summa Theological? Uh, well, okay. That's that's also a good question. So the uh, timeline. Because I read through. the short Summer. Have you heard of the shorter Summer? I have. I have, yeah. I'll do that afterwards <laughs> just to, okay, well, to well, highlight well. all the themes. That's why I'm not worrying too much if I don't get the whole thing, you know, down. Yeah. Um, totally. Because in my mind, I've read it. Okay. Like, in my mind, that's it for me. That's, uh, that's as close as I'm ever coming to reading Aquinas. Yeah. Like, how much benefit can they possibly be? Are you talking about the short assumer that he wrote or the one that Krift did? Krift. Okay. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Well, you know, he wrote one as well. <clears throat> what? He wrote a summer theological? He, he wrote a shortened version of the summer for, uh, for uh, I think oh, oh, Aquinas nephew or something. Yeah, currently. So he wrote a pilgrim theology <laughs> as well as a... Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, the shorter one's still massive, but it's, uh, it's shorter and that's not, it's totally different. Yeah. It is like a pilgrim versus the Christian faith for Michael Horton. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, the, 
I mean, oh, it's it's huge. It's an absolutely massive, massive. Mm. So the reason I'm reading it is I want to go through all the source material related to two kingdoms, right? So starting at the beginning, I'm looking at all the, you know, everything. Okay. From, uh, so Aquinas this. has got something to do with two kingdoms. Well, yeah. So Epistle to Diognetus, uh, at least. Um, then you've got it, City of God. So just the the basic sort of trajectory. Um, okay. I just want to. I'm not too worried if I get it down packed, but I just want to make sure I've covered it at least once. Um, and then uh, you, you've got all the the stuff with uh, Grotius and um, mm-hmm. oh, it's not Grotius, Galatius's two sword doctrine and Pope Boniface, uh, where he twists it to make the the Pope the ruler of all. And and then you've got um, Aquinas is important as well for his natural law, you know, and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, obviously very very connected to the two kingdoms idea. Um, and then I'll just keep going. I'll read through, like <clears throat> I'll go. I might go back afterwards and read through, like. Um, you know, book the, the the various books within those major works that have particularly to do with the things, and I'm, I'm, I'll like summarize those and get them down packed. Um, but I just want to get a once over on everything, so it's a bit of mm-hmm. a crazy project. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I just feel like I need to do it. Um, anyways, but what I was doing is I started reading, um, you know, Aquinas, and about the same about the same pace as I was going through City of God. Mm-hmm. Um, just really fast and one, two, skip a few, you know, did I understand that? No, who cares? Let's keep going anyway. You know, one of those, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. just, just, you can't stop. You have to take no prisoners. You have to go. Otherwise you're not going to make any progress at all. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm just moving along, just hoping that something hits somewhere sometime. And, uh, and, uh, about the same pace, two weeks. I mean, I'd made a significant dent in uh, city of God reading that way. Um, now, about two weeks ago on, on Summa Theologica, and uh, I, I dare look at the little Kindle where I am sign. Oh, no, that's devastating. Do yeah. you know where I was after two weeks at 2%? What? That was fast, that's, crazy, voracious that's, reading. That's very demoralizing. Yeah, that was almost yeah. the, the white flag for me right there. But anyway, That's like kept, me when I, when I pray. Like I pray and 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 pray till I can't pray anymore. It's been like two minutes. Yeah, exactly. You're like, I'm done. Oh. I can't handle it. <laughs> it's like I I just, I'm so tired. Yeah, Please. I'm so tired. I don't, know, <laughs> I don't know what to say anymore. <laughs> I just I haven't got the words. It's so... <laughs> you know, it's bad when you're groaning in the spirit. <laughs> That's you right. know, after like, a, like 30 oh, seconds. Yeah. <laughs> oh man so yeah um but i kept going and i'm well into it now i fall well, when i say well into it i'm done with the first like what what is officially regarded as the first book of seven more no sorry 13 more 13 more wow yeah so i think i'd be interested if i was going to take on a big reading project like that i think i'd be interested in reading Carl bot would you Mm. Mm. Yeah, I still got a bit of a soft spot for him. I know, I know he's all like, you know, whatever. So he would be diametrically opposite to, I mean, I kind of need to get to that anyway because because he ripped the whole idea of common grace right out. He didn't like it at all. He didn't like natural law. He just took you see, it I've, I have no idea what he says about anything to kingdoms related. Wow. Whenever I read him or engaged with him, is always to do with the you know the, <clears throat> the knowability of God. Yeah, he. Uh, I guess that is the the because um, he didn't natural theology. There was there was Nothing. none of that. No, he didn't like it at yeah. all. Yeah. Well, but in a yeah, and in a sense, I, I, there is a difference between saying 
in talking about natural law and talking about natural theology. Mm-hmm. Um, because some people make those kinds of distinctions. Yeah. Uh, I know that uh, I know that Mike Ovie at O'Kill didn't like to talk about natural theology at all, mm-hmm. but but uh, you know, but did talk about natural law or general revelation or common grace, but didn't talk about natural theology. So, like the, yeah. you can talk about you can discern kind of general patterns of living and and that kind of thing, but you mm-hmm. can't talk about knowing God through creation. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there is, I mean, yeah, he went too far with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, we digress. What what were we going to talk about? Don't know, but you know the whole uh, you know with with Bart, it was fascinating when I read that um, that thing in South Africa mm-hmm. um, by what's his name, someone Eust, um, uh who wrote that dissertation. It's you know so crazy because you had the Kuyperians who came up with their you know common grace, fear, sovereignty thing that eventually uh, contributed to an understanding of the apartheid kind of regime and then uh the guys within the calvinistic sphere who were more bartian uh mm-hmm. you know who rejected all of that uh yeah. ended up sort of being the guys who were arguing against apartheid so you got both those mm-hmm. dreams within uh in calvinism working uh, for and against apartheid there for a while <laughs> what, what was interesting from a two, two kingdom perspective though is that both of them were essentially arguing in some way for a one kingdom perspective um in that you know, yeah. both uh, the Kuyperians were were trying to establish an Israel year and now, you know, in in um, its covenantal glory and and all of that, mm-hmm. you know, pushing mm-hmm. back the Amalekites, the whole deal, and then uh, the guys arguing from a Batian perspective were basically, again, they were. It's almost like the modern day kind of liberal emergent neo Calvinistic sort of uh, deal, in that they were they were you know saying, hey, no, none of that's true. Let's strip away all those ideas, and yet they ended up still thinking in terms of a one kingdom perspective. And and so this, what this guy argued for, was that mm-hmm. you know, basically the two kingdom thing keeps you safe from both of those extremes, and um, and yeah. is a, super valuable in a place like like um, South Africa moving on, but you know, in, in that way for everyone. But um, what do yeah. um, what do Lutherans uh, think about the whole two kingdoms thing? Because I was listening to a. Jordan Cooper podcast, mm-hmm. and he was <clears throat> basically making fun of, <laughs> making fun of, uh, you know, in his very nice, nice sort of way, but mm-hmm. uh, making fun of post post mills, mm-hmm. you know, and the whole, it, which is obviously connected to the to the mm-hmm. One Kingdom thing and the theonomists. Mm. So that <clears throat> uh, the fact that he was kind of making fun of it means, I guess, you don't get too many post mills in Lutheranism. Don't don't imagine you would. No, like I've never actually thought about how Lutherans do kind of eschatology. Yeah, I've actually just um, I've just finished reading Cooper's book, The Great Divide, which uh, compares uh, Calvinism or Reformed theology and Lutheran theology, which is super interesting. Oh, cool! Yeah, highly recommended. Cool. And for anyone who's right. interested in um, more of that. Um, I've recently spoken to Jordan and he will, he is uh, interested in coming on the show. So that'll be, we'll get that happening next month sometime. Um, so hopefully that's uh, helped to, to us on uh, all as we look at this uh, comparison. But, you know, with uh, the issue of, of two kingdoms, I mean, obviously that's the big issue now because Luther is the guy who put two kingdoms really on the map, um, mm-hmm. you know, with his idea of two governments and, um, the, the the thing about it though is that it was it was actually as Jordan Cooper 
often points out, it's, it was different from what, what um, Van Drunen is proposing, you know, and, um, and it was different in important ways. So it's a bit disingenuous for the Reformed Two Kingdom guys to come along and say, well, we're just carrying on with Lutheranism, you know, and, um, and it's, it's misinformed for guys that are attacking Van Drunen to say that he's just gone back to Lutheranism. So, you know, you got all sorts of intricacies going on there. Basically, Luther's idea was, was you had the, I mean, it worked so hand in hand with justification, you know, you were justified and therefore entered into the redemptive kingdom. And it was entirely spiritual. You know, it was uh, anything adiaphora, anything external, anything um, related to even the church and the world was in the, 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 the other kingdom, you know, the, the, the kingdom of this world. Um, and so that's different, of course, from Van Drunen, who, who talks about an institutional representation of, of the redemptive kingdom in the church. And then, uh, uh, another... it wasn't Luther like, um, isn't he the guy that basically said, uh, if you plant a tree today, oh, if Christ was, if I knew Christ was coming tomorrow, I'd plant a tree today. Yeah. Yeah. So he affirmed, so that... he affirmed the, the, so he used that. Remember he wrote against the Anabaptists and the radical reformation yeah. and all those guys who didn't want to join the army, didn't want to, you know, they just basically didn't want to have any part right. of civil government and that sort of thing. So half his, half his intent there was to affirm the reality of the worldly kingdom, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, he became very world affirming, but, you know, in a way that, that was temporal. It, it didn't have. So he wasn't saying that tree would be there in the new creation. No, no, nothing like that. <laughs> he wasn't yeah. going for like a redeem the culture kind of thing. No, he was just saying it's, imp- I mean, while it's true that we're in the redemptive kingdom and that's going to, you know, th- that's arrived spiritually at this point. Um, it's, uh, you know, you can't, um, it's necessary as, in as far as we are in our flesh, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, you mm-hmm. know, it's necessary to live in this temporal age and, and uh, a kingdom uh, that, that we're also a citizen of. Um, so we, we, you know, he affirmed vocations and, and, and all those sorts of things as a result, um, yeah. you know, and tried to, to, um, almost, well, he did. I mean, you think he gave the Anabaptists everything that they should want there in that, uh, they wanted to see the apartness, the entire spiritual nature of what, what had come. My kingdom is not of this world. Uh, you know, all of that sort of thing. And, um, and, uh, you know, they could have all of that, but they needed also to, uh, understand that given to Caesar what is his and, you know, just, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we're, while, while we're here, uh, we're in Babylon and we seek its peace kind of thing. So in that sense, you know, it sounds very two kingdom in the same, in the same sense that we use it, but it was just like when you got down to it, uh, it's kind of weird even now for me to listen to Lutherans talk about it because they, they don't, you know, even if we had to talk about a, a pastoral vocation, Mm-hmm. You think of that as the redemptive sec- uh, sacred sphere, you know, uh, where they would they right, would even yeah, think yeah. of that as in the secular sphere because it's all in the now part of it, you know. The only thing that's really eternal oh, really? is is our justification and entry into the spiritual kingdom. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So it, yeah. it had. So they just have a much tighter circle of the sacred. Yeah, it almost sounds. I mean, I don't mean it. Definitely wasn't Gnostic because it did affirm the world as well. But it almost has that Gnostic feel about it, you know, if right, you're not okay. careful. Um, yeah. And then, and, and you know, and then the hard part was that Luther himself chopped and changed and it made some compromises with regard to, you know, <laughs> coercion and politics and mm-hmm. whatnot. Mm-hmm. So uh, that made it uh, more difficult to to track with what he was saying. But yeah, I mean, in general, 
it is different to, I mean, with the Reform Two Kingdom thing, it's entirely based on a covenantal setup that Klein gave, which, you know, really was not the case for Lutheranism at all. So um, just on that basis. So alone. what is the, if, if Lutherans don't rely on a covenantal system? What do they rely on? Well, that is what I want to ask John Cooper. That's what, okay, one, one That is one of the questions I wanted to ask him to. Because <clears> you've answer. got to piece it together somehow. <laughs> yeah. So they do. And I you've mean, also my, got to do something with the covenants. Yeah. So law and gospel is their framework. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah. it's just that my, 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 I would be interested as to how they evade the covenantal implications of law and gospel, you know? Um, so law, the, it works. It definitely has some sort of connection to their two kingdom thing because of justification, you know? So God rules mm-hmm. his uh, spiritual kingdom via gospel and he rules mm-hmm. his, you know, uh, kingdom in this world, uh, civil kingdom and everything by law. Um, and so anything related to law, you know, is related to the external, anything related to gospel is related to the internal. So you got all those kinds of, uh, distinctions, but yeah, not exactly the way we would break it okay. down, Interesting, but, but it is yeah. interesting. Yeah. Very important. Um, anyway, coming back to Aquinas though, right. Um, yeah. one of the things that I, I just thought, dude, it's amazing. Like he is so in tune with the reform tradition. Um, oh Yeah. I did not expect. I know that. that there are lots of reformed guys who study Aquinas. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I well, like Sproul loved him. Remember, mm. um, and yeah, I can but see he was why. like all about the kind of classical, That's classical true. philosophy and stuff. And I always I think thought he, he took liked it from there. I thought I thought he did it more from a he like appreciated him more from a apologetics standpoint, you know, with his yeah. philosophy and all that. But mm-hmm. I mean, theologically, so far everything I've read, it's almost like the analogical. Univocal equivocal thing. Have you read that in Michael Horton? Uh, yes. That's ripped straight out of Aquinas right there. And I think he does even mention that so, in, 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 um, in uh, you know, in, uh, in Horton's text. But, you know, just to see it, it was crazy. It was like, there it is. Aquinas solved their problem. And we're just, we're borrowing from him. Not to mention the, um, the concurrence and um, the predestination thing. Like, he was definitely Augustinian in his... In his approach yeah. to predestination and and um, mm-hmm. and you know took from what I've just a very light reading of course but just it seems so similar to what Horton's saying with concurrence and the way both are true and neither are compromised and you know all of those things uh, with man's mm-hmm. will mm-hmm. And, and God's sovereignty uh, are just uh, explained in exactly the same way we would explain them and uh, and so yeah I'm just uh, I mean this is the key systematic text for the for the Roman Catholic sort of church and theologians and um i believe it wasn't the case when he wrote it but uh, afterwards it became you know just this very important um key touchstone of their theology so to speak and um and yeah i mean that that it just you got me thinking about that when you mentioned you're reading what's that book you're reading uh, is the reformation uh, it was the was the reformation a mistake oh, yeah that's it, um who wrote that <clears throat> i'll oh, check oh. it up uh, uh, hang on, hang on, I'll tell you. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Uh, was the Reformation a mistake? Why Catholic doctrine is not unbiblical. And it is by Matthew Levering. Ah, interesting. And it has a like a contribution from uh, Van Hooser. Mm. Wow. So, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm uh, interested in, in, in a bit of Van Hooser at the moment. So, mm. The 
uh, that's that's kind of how I, I stumble upon it. But also, mm-hmm. I, like I do think um, I'm preaching through through Esther at the mm-hmm. moment, and um, you know it's again just you know, picking up this whole thing about God's people being exiles. Right, so th- those are the lines for us today. Totally. So we 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 preach through one Peter, which is explicitly saying the church is a community of exiles, mm-hmm. and then thought we'd go from there to Esther to see kind of uh, an example of God's people in in, in exile. And so mm-hmm. that's the kind of. But then the more you think about exile, you more re- the more you realize that some of the the less substantial disagreements or divisions, they start to melt away. Um, you know, when you're in exile, mm-hmm. the the more the more you're under threat from Nero or from Babylon or from whatever, mm-hmm. uh, from ISIS, the more sort of common ground you find with people of other traditions. So, like, you know, the divisions between Lutheran, Reformed, Baptist, Presbyterian become very, very small indeed. You know, like mm-hmm. when when the persecution is on, you just unite with everyone because you know your mind is distracted from the the trivial stuff. It's almost like like the, <laughs> Uh, you know, like um, theological distinctions and divisions are a kind of luxury of the, of of times of peace. You know, mm, mm. Um, but I remember um, some time ago. You know, when all those Coptic Christians were beheaded mm, by ISIS, mm, mm. and I was like, um, "Man, that's terrible." You know, we should pray for our brothers and sisters. And mm. then I was like, "Like, are Coptics?" Like really Christian? Like mm. what what do they actually believe? I knew nothing about Coptic right. Christianity. So like there we were praying <laughs> in church for these guys yeah. as if they were believers, just because it felt like the right thing to do. Like I, I if I'm honest, I didn't even think about it. I didn't even stop to consider yeah. like is there doctrinal ortho- orthodoxy there? It was yeah. just like, oh, that's terrible. Let's pray for these guys. Mm. Or pray for their families and, and pray for the Coptic Christians. And mm. and so um so that got me thinking, first of all, like, man, um, do they have the same kind of doctrinal errors that Rome has? And then I was thinking, what if they were 10 Roman Catholic guys beheaded by ISIS? Yeah. Like, would I, like, would I not feel that? You know, like, oh, goodness, is that not an attack on the church, an attack on Christ? And would I not participate? And and so it just became very uncomfortable in my mind and in my heart because I was, I was like, all you know, I've always been like Roman Catholicism is not Christianity. It's a it's a distortion of Christianity. It's mm. a you know, it's an it's an her, a heretical form of Christianity. So Roman Catholics can be Christians, mm. but Roman Catholicism is not Christian. That's mm. always been my kind of line. Yeah, but then it just you know. It just has caused me again to think, man, we, you know, like you're reading, when you're reading Church Fathers and you realize there's oh, plenty yeah. of kind of Roman doctrine oh, in yeah. the Church Fathers, mm-hmm. and not exclusively, you know, not all the time, but, you know, Jordan Cooper's the guy who will constantly points out, you, you know, you go to the Church Fathers, you find a variety of mm. views about all sorts of things, mm-hmm. um, things that most Protestants would have a lot of difficulty mm-hmm. in. And you're like, well, am I therefore condemning? all these guys, you know, and saying, exactly. well, that's Romish doctrine, you know, therefore they can't, it's not real Christianity, therefore they're false teachers. And mm. it's just like, how do you work that whole thing through? So I'm listening to this book um, partly because I, I, if I just wanting to think through Roman Catholicism from the point of view of a Roman Catholic. Mm. And I want to make sure that if there is 
more generosity and more charity to be given that I want to be giving it, you know? Mm. Um, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and the, there are a few, th I mean, definitely, I think that's why we always say it's a healthy, before we feel like we're the, the only, a, a good antidote to, to, to your own theological pride is to just read some yeah. history and see that, wow, either everyone it's has been clear. wrong and you're the only real Christian or, you know, actually something <laughs> yeah, needs to give. Um, but yeah. I think I mean just another thing on that quickly. Sorry mm, before mm. you before you come in, and it's it's like even if you read, I think we were making a point about this the, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean it's great. <laughs> if you yeah, I mean the parts of it are very good. Yeah. But the the um, but if you even picked out the bit on justification mm -hmm. and gave it to a hundred evangelicals, mm -hmm. I guarantee you. That ninety of the of the hundred would not spot the errors. Oh, totally, I agree. It sounds, it sounds very evangelical in mm. lots of places. It Even does, the yeah. bit on justification, which is one of our major bugbears. Yeah, and I'm just thinking like it, it, it's just a wake up call. So I, I'm not saying that therefore, oh, let's accept Roman Catholicism. Let's be all buddy buddy. But I'm just saying you have to be careful. Well, yeah, I've never been able to um, to. <laughs> you know, just, just say Rome is not the true church or anything. I just can't do it. Um, okay. I've tried, but I just can't. I mean, yeah, for one thing, just there's too much continuity. I mean, the whole, the reformers essentially wanted to, they didn't even want uh, their own church. Um, no. that was really a, a necessary, you know, it's just cause they didn't want to reform is the only thing, but you know, that gives you an indication right there of the willingness to see a continuity. But I think one of, one of the things that that's helped me is that, you have you have a developmental nature uh, in theology, and it does develop. And then when new mm -hmm. things come to light, to go back and look at those old things anachronistically is a problem. So, for example, you know, even thinking about Aquinas, <clears throat> a lot of the stuff he dealt with, um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't yet what it became later on, and um, and so you've you've got to you've got to remember that and. Um, and even the early church fathers, it was before certain controversies arose. So you, you don't know where they would have cited or, you know, when, when the spotlight was put on the various uh, things. You know, you see Aquinas, for example, I mean, he, he'll listen to a whole bunch of objections to his to, to this doctrine. And then he'll just answer straight up out of the text and go, uh, yeah, uh, contrary to this, it is written. He's just yeah. very concerned with the Bible. Um, but you can see he's also very concerned with tradition and uh, what Augustine says, and you can see the trajectory emerge. But would he have approached it that way in light of what was later pointed out in the abuses of the Catholic Church? Maybe not. Um, you see how concerned he is with what had already been um, you know, established in the confessional, uh, or at least uh, around the Trinity controversies and the confessions that had been written as a result. And he points out many times, like, the only reason they're using that word now is because uh, of the controversy that arose and before it was used differently. And, you know, so it's just a very, very aware mm -hmm. of the developmental nature of theology. And so I just can't help but think, you know, what, what if those guys were around after the Reformation, yeah. how would they have responded to what Luther was saying? Basically, uh, it might have they might yeah. well have been ended up being in the Reformed Church. You know, there's just no real way to know. So you got to read them um, in that light, and um, and so there must be some sort of distinction that is made in at least at a historical level, like from the Church Fathers all the way through to you know pre-Reformation. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, the, the theology of the Roman Catholic Church at that level, you know, or theologians mm-hmm. of the Roman Catholic Church and post-Reformation, you know, um, trends, anathemas and that sort of thing, which is what we typically think now. Um, yeah. And so, and then even just that versus post-Vatican uh, II and the amendments that have been made there. I mean, it's just a, it's, it's a complex issue, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and now it's made it even more complex, I think, is that it used to be quite a standardized thing in that the Pope kind of meant more than he does now, I think. <clears throat> and so, you know, if you were a Roman Catholic, you were doing the Mass in Latin, you were doing this, it was very traditional, it would stick mm-hmm. to all its points, and, you know, there was it was very centralized. And now it's like, it's not the weirdest thing in the world to find a really very evangelical, kind of charismatic Roman Catholic Church who hardly even knows that the Mass is important, you know? Um, yeah. it's, it's so bizarre. So what are you going to do with those guys, you know? That, yeah, they're totally. basically just evangelicals wearing robes and stuff so um you know you've and then and then you've got individually you've got um you've got the difference between a, a well-studied roman catholic priest mm-hmm. who's gone through all these things who knows the history who's landed on these positions who continues with you know various points of aberration um mm-hmm. despite the knowledge versus some guy who was walking down the street at 90 years old got given a gospel tract by by a mm-hmm. priest you know, read his Bible, really nothing to do with Roman Catholicism, read his Bible, wanted to go to church, decided to go to the church where the gospel tract, you know, you know, gave him an address. It was a Roman Catholic church. Couldn't really, yeah, I mean, it takes years to figure out why sola ecclesia versus sola scriptura, you know, I mean, you're not mm-hmm, going to expect mm-hmm. that guy to have that worked out before he dies, you know? So, totally. you know, would you want him there versus a, a mosque, you know? <laughs> um, well, I'd want him at the Roman Catholic church. So, I don't know. It's difficult. It really is. There's so many different things. Um, so, yeah, I also say I think we need to be able to affirm both, that there are some extreme aberrations in Roman Catholic theology that make us want to yeah. give it up altogether and just go, you know what, this is crazy, you know. Um, it, like uh, what I just think of now is that that recent thing with the Pope uh, and the Vatican. Did you see that with the, with the Amazonian goddess? <clears throat> no, no, oh. didn't see that. So they had like a... a <laughs> It was quite funny, but uh, basically, I mean, quite tragic. But in the Vatican, they filmed this, um, obviously, some Amazonian tribe or something, pure pagan, though. Right. You know, like, it, like literal pagan, like, you know, and they've yeah. got their little idols and everything, and they're, they're bowing down to the idols in the Vatican and the Pope's there. And then, and then some of the friars bow down to these um, idols as well, just full on. <clears throat> and, um, and so it created such a massive stir. You could see the Pope didn't know what was going on. And he was like, he had a whole speech. He abandoned his notes. He like basically fled the scene afterwards. He had been obviously roped into something he wasn't really too comfortable with, but it was full on pagan worship in uh, the Vatican. And, um, and so you see all the ripple effects and all the Catholic priests. It's been quite, I found it quite helpful to see their responses to that yeah, yeah because at one level you see they're not happy w- with pagan yeah. idolatry you know we're meant to be showing the pagans not the other way around and so that that part is good but then they're they're bringing up all these texts that now why are we bowing down to women in church women statues in church <laughs> and you can see they kind of their eyes are like wait a minute we do this anyway all the time so yeah so it's just kind yeah. of calling their bluff on, on a few things um but yeah yeah this pope's interesting for the catholic church because he's causing <laughs> lots and lots of problems 
Totally. And um, <clears throat> and he, you know, it, it would be a funny thing for, you know, the Roman Catholic confidence of being, you know, this united body if they ended up splitting because of the Pope, you yeah. know, it would, it would really be a, That'd be insane. a, a very hard thing for to have to deal with. Yeah. But, Man, the, the whole, uh, I am. Um, yeah. I, so, so when you're reading through, you there? Yeah. Go for it. Uh, when you're reading through, um, like someone like Aquinas, mm -hmm. and you're seeing lots of stuff that you can affirm, and mm -hmm. that's great. So you're having a good time. When you get to stuff that you think, "What?" Yeah. You know, um, it's always it's a, the, I like to think of it like the the Ben Harper moments. You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. you know that song, uh, "Shall Not Walk Alone." Mm -hmm. It's just beautiful, such mm -hmm. a beautiful song. Mm -hmm. Until he gets to the point where it's, "And I reach for Mother Mary." Yeah. You know that one? I know that one. And I shall not walk alone. Yeah. And I was just like, like it was it was so good up to that point. <clears throat> and then it's like so awkward all of a sudden. <laughs> you know? Because yeah. it's like, why reach for Mother Mary? Why'd you do that? Like you have so many other options. You know, <laughs> anyway, the um the um <clears throat> and and like uh, you're reading through Aquinas and then you get to like the dodgy bits. Mm -hmm. So are you thinking at that point then I'm reading a heretic? who's saying some good things hmm. like, or are you thinking I'm reading someone who's orthodox who's making some mistakes? Cause I think most Protestants tend to view medieval and just pre-reformation hmm. theologians hmm. as being basically heretics who may hit the, the right notes occasionally. Do they? I, um, I've always thought of it the other way around. No, well, I guess in, in master circles, yeah. Okay. There's a huge suspicion okay. of, you, know, you, you kind of got like, you got key guys like Augustine, who I think people are comfortable mm. with or know about. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the medieval stuff, <clears throat> yeah. Well, basically, people generally think the whole medieval period is just, right. It's just like, yeah, absent of light and truth. Yeah, which is just you not know, the case. I mean, you look at you look no, at, it doesn't. Yeah. You look at. Um, I mean, I think geez, if anything, just Summa Theologica <laughs> kills that one hundred percent. I mean, it was. Uh, yeah, I think I, what I my, my instinct, I suppose, is to go. Okay, well, uh, years years they were men of their times is what 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 hits me, um, and in exactly the same way that I would think of an early church father or Augustine himself or Luther or Kelvin, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, my goodness, you know, when Zwingli's killing Baptists, uh, you know, uh, yeah, one that strikes me as slightly more serious than, than, uh, Luther's, you know, uh, or at least as Aquinas's, um, you know, slight variation on something. So you've got to, you've either got to process it that way or everyone's going to be written off at some level, I think, um, even on justification, you know, our big sacred cow. I mean, I, I mean, that mm. doesn't really come up until post Anselm for crying out loud, you know? Mm. So everyone's got that wrong. <laughs> the, the atonement, the substitutionary theory, it's just all a complete mess until way later. So it, it would just be ridiculous. It's obviously not true that you have to base the whole thing on that. And that's why I think that whole, um, being careful not to anachronize is is of key importance in, re yeah. in reading these guys. 
um, you have to you have to make sure that you are not bringing what happens afterwards uh, into their thinking. They are men of their times, uh, and mm, then and mm. then of course you just assess the seriousness of the doctrine based on the doctrinal pro- the seriousness of the problem. I mean, based on the the issue of doctrine itself. Um, you know, so they're going to be if someone denies the Trinity at any point, that's just heresy. That that puts mm-hmm. them outside the camp. You know, that's the bottom line. Um, I'm just not interested in non-Trinitarian theology. You know, um, mm-hmm. anyone denies the divinity of Christ, I'm just not interested. Anyone who takes a, a section of the canon and says it belongs to the demigod, and you know, I'm not interested. Um, and so you've got, you've, I do think these baseline issues of orthodoxy are important because they have held all the way through. You know, um, and and they do allow at least for a conversation. Yeah, but the. Uh, and I, and I do keep coming back to sort of Galatians mm. um, as well because it, it's it's helpful to remember that for Paul, uh, you know, the justification issue was a major issue of orthodoxy. Yes, you know? yes. It, so it's not just kind of like a, a Reformation bugbear. Sure. You know, if, yeah. it was an issue. Now, uh, what you then get into is the kind of anti rights new perspective on Paul's See, that's where the, the But the Reformation has happened. And that's, that's the big yeah. thing for me with N.T. Wright and these guys, you know, yeah. it's, it's one thing. And that's even just, we talked a little bit about the Pater-Baptist killing people vibe. Um, you know, again, there were men of their times, but if that had to happen now in light of the, yeah. you know, extended thought on that, you just, there's no, there, there wouldn't be the same level of grace, I don't think. And, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so with N.T. Wright, I mean, that's his all, he's looking at the, all of the Reformation, all of the mm-hmm. history, and saying it was all pointless. I've got a better way. You know, yeah, that is yeah. just, wow. You know, so it's it's not that we're cutting him some extra slack by reading the other guys more charitably, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know where I struggle, though? Greek Orthodoxy. I am, um, yeah. I mean, that, mm-hmm. I, that is another world for me. And every time I look, I get terrified. <laughs> Every time I just peer, I just glance into that direction. I'm like, whoa, what is going on there? Mm, uh, mm. And, and they, I mean, they view the whole Roman, they view Protestants as part of the Roman Catholic offshoot, essentially. Uh, we yeah. all, you yeah, know, yeah. they're the only true church and we're all this, you know, denominational spray. Yeah. And um, yeah, to them, we're both making the same error. Yeah. We're just disagreeing on the details. So, yeah, yeah crazy. It's, um, I, I did I did look into it a little while ago when I was looking into the Coptic thing. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and there are some very serious theological concerns there because, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, but that is a whole nother discussion. It is. Agree. Man. But anyways, I suppose well, that's some thoughts just on just church history in general and uh, I suppose Rome in particular. Well, I mean, look, like I say, the, where Christians are becoming a vast minority in lots of parts of the world, mm-hmm. and Roman Catholics are likely to suffer the same sort of afflictions that evangelicals will suffer, yeah. you know, for their stand on certain ethical issues. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we are going to have to think through a little bit, you know, how how do we react? Are we you know, part of the same family suffering together, or are we something else? A really good book that I, I recommend um, is, uh, of course, I can't remember the name or the authors. So <laughs> it's going well. It's fantastic, though. Really good book. <laughs> yeah. 
Now, yeah, Allison, right. is it Allison? Is he one of the one of the guys? He's a reformed guy. Uh, I don't know. It, oh, come on, Mike, help me out, Jay. You know all about these guys, Allison. I'm sure it's Allison, like Greg Allison or something. Okay. And he writes, I think. Oh, good grief! I'm, I'm going to have to. Are you doing show notes? <laughs> no. I do not do show notes. <laughs> Okay. Well, I was going to say we could put them on the show notes, but if you don't do your show notes. Well, we might have uh, to come up with something due to this terrible memory <laughs> loss. Great, great. Yeah. You know, my mind just cannot, <laughs> cannot cope with the details. Bro. Hmm. Greg Allison, hang on, I'm going to find it now. I'm going to find it. Whew. Not finding it very quickly. Well, this is all good. It's like it's called Undivided or Divided or something like that by Greg Allison, somebody else. And, uh, okay. Uh, but anyway, it's really good because it basically presents all the issues and it gives a little take on, um, on like how how we should respond to it. And then at the end of the day, it asks yeah, at the end of the book, it asks the, the question. Um, that's a, the unfinished Reformation. What unites and divides Catholics? Cool. That's the one. Um, so, the, the uh, yeah, and it asks the question point blank, you know, like, mm. are, are, do, should we regard Catholics as Christians? Mm, okay, cool. Um, well, there we go. Cool. This is uh, relevant, I think, also we're doing the run through church history and literature and that sort of thing. So uh, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, this, some, will, yeah. this will play into that. You come with lots of weird stuff there. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, totally. Um, but cool, there we go. There's some midweek thoughts on on, uh, on something or other. <laughs> yeah, good luck trying to find a title for this one. Good luck. All right. Mm-hmm. I'll drop it right there. Thanks for joining us, bro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.